The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show, as always, presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com for a great deal, which right now includes 50% off all-style windows and 0% interest rates for five years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Two guests on the show today. Ben Standig will be with us next. We'll talk Washington Coach Search. I'll also ask Ben about what plan B is if they don't land Ben Johnson, which everybody assumes they will sometime next week if Detroit loses, uh, and then shortly after the Super Bowl if Detroit doesn't lose on Sunday. Uh, Steven Spector is going to be on the show with us as well. Steven, longtime producer at 980 with us. Uh, Steven's been in Kansas City now for a decade plus and has been a big part of the sports talk radio station out there. So we will talk Chiefs-Ravens with Steven. We'll also talk about what Kansas City lost, if anything, when Eric Bieniemy left KC to come to Washington. Maybe some Taylor Swift conversation with Steven Spector uh, as well. Um, before that, a couple of things. So I I was looking at the uh, Detroit-Washington game from all the way back in January of 1992, the last time both of these teams played in an NFC championship game. The last time Washington advanced to a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl. We understand that now Washington is the longest drought NFC team uh, between present day and their last appearance in an NFC championship game with the Lions playing in the NFC title game on Sunday night against the 49ers. And I found the game on YouTube. It was a dominant performance by Washington. Washington had beaten Atlanta the week before in the seat cushion game at RFK in the rain, 24-7. Detroit had beaten Dallas 38-6 in the Silver Dome. Uh, That was Jimmy's first playoff team in Dallas. They had beaten Chicago in a wild card game, then gone to Detroit, and they got blown out by the Lions. And until, uh, you know, two weeks ago, that was the last time the Lions had won a playoff game. But anyway, um, Washington dominated the Lions. 
Lions. What's interesting about that is that it was the second time that year in 1991 that Washington had beaten Detroit badly in the season opener on Sunday night football. And Sunday night football was a relatively new thing uh, in 1991. It may have been uh, two or three years old um, at that point, but they opened up with Detroit on Sunday night football and beat the Lions 45 to nothing. It was a harbinger of things to come with the 91 skins. Brian Mitchell, by the way, a 69-yard punt return for a touchdown in that game. But then they played uh, in the NFC title game that year, January 12, 1992, and Washington dominated the Lions. The Lions just didn't get much done. Barry Sanders, 11 carries for 44 yards. Richie Pettibone completely owned that Mouse Davis run-and-shoot offense, whether it was Atlanta the week before or Detroit in the NFC title game. It was just something that Richie owned as a defensive coordinator. And Detroit just didn't gain much yardage. They turned the ball over three times, and Washington rolled. Rippon only threw 17 times in the game, completed 12 balls for 228 yards. He was 12 of 17 for 228 and two touchdowns. Had a 152.2 passer rating. Not perfect, but near perfect. Um, And then Biner had 62 yards. Ricky Irvins had 53. And Washington rolled 41 to 10. Daryl Green capped off that game with uh, an interception return for a touchdown. But in going back and watching some of that game and then checking on Pro Football Reference to confirm, I was reminded that Washington was a 14-point favorite over the Lions in that NFC title game. So that sent me down a rabbit hole trying to figure out if Washington was the largest point spread um, favorite in NFC championship history. And since the merger, when those things were kept, and you can find all that stuff on Pro Football Reference, they were. Now, they were tied with another team, the 99 St. Louis Rams' greatest show on turf, also uh, was a 14-point favorite over the Buccaneers in that season's NFC title game. They beat the Buccaneers 11-6. to They did not cover the 14. Washington covered easily against Detroit, but the Washington 91 Skins and the 99 St. Louis Rams in their NFC title games were the biggest favorites ever. And really, there's not a close second Um, Washington was actually a a 10.5-point favorite over the 49ers in the NFC title game after the 83 season in January of 84. Uh, By the way, you know, the... um, the Rams had they beat the Buccaneers eleven to six in that NFC title game, but the Buccaneers were there because they had beaten Washington the week before fourteen to thirteen. That was the game in which they had a thirteen nothing lead. Brian Mitchell had a kickoff return to start the second half for a touchdown. And then it just fell apart, and they had a field goal botched at the end with the Turk brothers, um, with the bad snap, et cetera. And, um, and yeah, uh, Washington didn't get to that NFC title game. But actually, based on the score of that game, 14-13 to 13 in the divisional round, that is technically the closest they've been to the NFC championship game since the last time they were in it 
against the Lions, losing to the Bucks that day, 14-13. The Seattle game following the t- 2005 season that they lost 20-13 to in Seattle when they were dominating the game early and Carlos Rogers had a chance at a pick six. I think that was... Um, that was uh, another team and a better team. Um, the 99 team was a great offensive team, but they weren't going to beat St. Louis, I don't think, on the road. Uh, the 2005 team, had they pulled off the win at Seattle, they may have gone to Carolina and won the NFC Championship game. But anyway, um, you know, the 91 skins – Per the DVOA metric, I know we've talked about this before, the number one all-time team in terms of Super Bowl winners, the number two all-time regular season team behind the 2007 Patriots. Uh, The 2007 Patriots, though, did not win the Super Bowl. They lost to the Giants. In the AFC title game this weekend, the 2023 Ravens, They finished this regular season, per the DVOA metric, as the sixth all-time best NFL team. Uh, They, at one point, with about two or three weeks left in the regular season, were pushing the number two spot where Washington was. I think the Ravens are awesome. I think the Ravens are going to win big. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a smell test pick, because looking at uh, some of the early data, the actions really split between uh, KC backers and Baltimore backers. Um, It's probably more likely I'll have San Francisco in the smell test and maybe both of the unders. There's going to be a lot of overplays um, in these two championship games, but I just like Baltimore because I think they're just better. Um, We'll talk to Steven Spector about that a little bit uh, later on uh, in the show. Looking forward to the conversation with him. But I'm really looking forward to both of these games. I mean, getting Mahomes into the AFC title game on the road in that environment. I I was thinking about this earlier today. If Patrick Mahomes plays well and they win that game on Sunday against that team in that environment, and then they go on to win the Super Bowl, but really it would be more about winning this AFC championship game on the road against that defense. At that point, I don't know if it's premature anymore to discuss Patrick Mahomes as the greatest quarterback that we've ever seen. That defense is one of the best we've seen in years. Uh, If he goes in and plays well and wins, and then wins a Super Bowl on top of that, which would be his third, look, the premature conversation would be about him being the greatest winner of all time. But after all of those home playoff games and people saying, well, it'd be nice to see him you know, play a road playoff game, if he goes Buffalo-Baltimore back-to-back, um, Brady won AFC title games on the road. He beat Pittsburgh in that first AFC title game that New England had before they upset the Rams in the Super Bowl. The week after the Tuck game, they beat the Steelers on the road. They beat the Steelers on the road in another AFC Championship game. Uh, I forget which Super Bowl that was. It was either the Super Bowl win over Philly or Carolina. Um, And remember, he led New England into Arrowhead in Pat Mahomes' first AFC title game and won that game 37-31 in overtime. So Brady did it a bunch. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I think the only Super Bowl that, that he got to, they won that NFC title game over Chicago on the road. 
I'm pretty sure they beat the Bears on the road. Montana, Montana won one AFC champ, uh, NFC championship game, excuse me, on the road. They beat the Bears one year badly uh, on a frigid Soldier Field day on the road en route uh, to one of his Super Bowls. But I don't know. In thinking about this first game Sunday, I can't wait to see this game. I like Baltimore. I think Baltimore is the better team, which will make me personally even more astonished if Mahomes pulls it off. And I can't see them winning without Mahomes playing well. And quite honestly, I don't see them being that great against that defense on the road. And if he is... He's in that conversation. We start to, you know, those people that say, no, 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 it's too early. I mean, come on. I mean, he's not in that conversation with Brady, with Manning, with Montana, with Marino, Elway, et cetera, Rodgers. Uh, yeah, he is. He's kind of, you know, approaching that level already just with two Super Bowls and multiple MVPs, et cetera. I mean, if his career, if his career had ended after last year, he's a first ballot lock Hall of Famer. Um, but – He's about to write a new chapter if he beats Baltimore Sunday. Um, And then in the nightcap, you know, I think I had this conversation maybe briefly with Tommy yesterday, but I think there's a lot of pressure on San Francisco, a ton of pressure on Kyle Shanahan to get back to the Super Bowl. You know, losing another NFC title game last year, what were they going to do? They lost quarterbacks. The year before, losing to the Rams – um, they haven't won the Super Bowl, and yet he's labeled as this genius coach, and he is. He's a great coach. You know, I think I said about you know Josh Allen the other day with all of the conversation about him, if you held a draft for available NFL quarterbacks, he wouldn't go any worse. He wouldn't go any worse than third or fourth. He might be second. If you did the same thing with coaches, Kyle Shanahan's not going any lower than fourth or fifth. But I do think there's some pressure on the 49ers um, this week to get it done. They were in a close call game for sure on um, on Saturday night. And look, if they don't have Debo Sam- Samuel, they're 12-1 with Samuel. They're 0-4 with him either not playing or barely playing. He got injured early in the Cleveland game that they lost, and then in the season finale he played a series or two and sat because it was a meaningless game. Um, so they are 0-4 without Debo Samuel this year, 12-1 with him. That is a big, big injury to track the rest of the week. All right, uh, let me discuss one more thing, and then we'll get to Ben and then Steven after that. Uh, I believe that Ben Johnson's going to be the next head coach. I believe all of the reporting. Um, I think a week from today we'll be on this podcast discussing the just-concluded introductory press conference of the new head coach of the Washington Commanders, Ben Johnson, uh, assuming Detroit loses to San Francisco. If not, we'll be talking about that introductory press conference after the Super Bowl. But I do believe that he's going to be the next head coach. And I'm excited about that. You know, I I don't know what to expect. I think this is one of those things that we just got to watch. Anybody that tells you that they have, you know, a really, really strong, strong belief in Ben Johnson's head coaching abilities when he's never been one before, unless they really know the Detroit experience and they lived it somehow. I I just think, you know, like I've said before, 
crapshoot on a lot of this stuff. You know, even that study that I read for, uh, yesterday from Hogshaven that said that in the last five years of the 35 coaches hired, the most successful were previously offensive coordinators without head coaching experience. Even their overall win percentage was just 536. Um, but anyway... Uh, I, I'm I'm excited about Ben Johnson. I'm excited about whomever they hire. I'm I'm all observation now and all trusting uh, for right now. There's no reason not to be. My very good friend Scott Van Pelt said to me last night, "I know what will uh, will get you to uh, be all in once again on this team." And I said, "What?" And he said, "If they draft Jaden Daniels, I do love Jaden Daniels. I do." Uh, but I would have no problem if they draft Drake May, if that's who they decide is right for this organization and the new coaching staff, that's fine too. Um, if they decide they're not going to draft anybody at number two a quarterback, they don't like any of them, and they are, they're going to trade back, and they're going to leverage the hell out of that spot, I'm going to trust uh, for, for the time being. Um, and the time being means, I think, at least a couple of years, right, before we can really – uh, you know, be constructively critical of what they're doing right now. Um, anyway, um, that's not what I wanted to get to. Uh, I'm getting sidetracked. If for whatever reason, the Ben Johnson plan A, which I do think it's their plan A, if it were to fall through and not happen, I believe their plan B would be Dan Quinn. Now, I think they're impressed with a lot of people that they've interviewed. I think Raheem Morris interviews very well. But... I believe that Dan Quinn would be plan B. That doesn't thrill me. But again, I would trust that they know what they're doing, that Dan Quinn just had one terrible day in the biggest game of the year, that playoff game. Uh, By the way, have you seen some of the uh, attacks by family members of C.D. Lamb and Micah Parsons on Dak Prescott? My God. Um, they, there's a lot going on in Dallas following that embarrassing loss. And what's interesting is not that family members are on social media ripping Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb's mother, um, Micah Parsons' brother. Um, it's that no cowboy as of now has come to his defense publicly, which I find more interesting. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Um, Dan Quinn, I think, really impresses people when he interviews and I'll leave it at that. And I, I, again, I think it's going to be Ben Johnson at this point. I'd be surprised if it isn't, but anything can happen here over the next few days. You know, it doesn't look like the Harbaugh as of this recording uh, is done uh, in LA and there's a lot going on at Michigan. And if that job is then available to somebody other than Harbaugh, maybe they come hard and fast after Ben Johnson. Uh, Maybe Tepper's money ends up being what wins the day with Ben Johnson. Who knows? But I think Ben Johnson will be the the new head coach. But if he isn't, Dan Quinn would be, I think, the fallback plan. And who knows? Maybe somebody else is going to hire Dan Quinn before that. Seattle seems to have interest. All right, let's get to Ben Standig right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll give you a cash bonus on your initial deposit. MyBookie's point spreads right now for the two championship games are as follows. They've got Baltimore at minus 3.5. I've seen some minus 4s out there. So if you like the Ravens Sunday like I do, uh, go bet it at my bookie. They've got the 49ers at minus 7. The uh, totals in the game, 44.5 in the AFC title game, 51 in the NFC championship game. Uh, And right now, believe it or not, the favorite to win the Super Bowl at my bookie the 49ers at plus 150 followed by the Raiders at plus followed by the Ravens excuse me at plus 180 the Chiefs at plus 375 and the Lions at plus 800 the reason the 49ers are a slight favorite is they have a better chance uh, of winning the title game and advancing to the Super Bowl than the Ravens do uh, with the Chiefs as their opponent. All the prop bets are available at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, you've got to use my promo code, KevinDC, to get the cash bonus on your initial deposit. Uh, jumping on with us, uh, as he has many times in the past and is doing it today, is our good friend Ben Standig from The Athletic. Let's start with the football team. As of one ten Eastern time here on Wednesday, January 24th, uh, what's the percent chance that Ben Johnson is the next head coach? <laughs> uh, starting off hot. Um, I, I don't know. I, don't, I know uh, you hate it when, like, a uh, I don't want to give a percentage chance, but I really don't know. I mean, like, you know, I, what is hard to tell is when everybody seems to be suggesting that Ben Johnson is a clear favorite, 
how much of that is real and how much of that is an echo chamber. I, I mean, you know, at, you know, as we know, starting from the point that Bob Myers was hired, it showed that these guys have been, you know, the Josh Harris group has been, you know, really um, quiet about everything. They've been pretty stealthy. And, and for, for me, I don't think that's changed, uh, you know, in terms of getting information. And, you know, when I, you know, I listen to, to you and you have a guest on, I, I talk to people around the league, I, you know, I, I don't get the sense that anybody is very definitive or confident on anything other than to say it seems likely that Ben Johnson is the lead. Um, I do think there's a little, you know, I, I still think there's some noise out there about um, Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn and, and, and Mike McDonald. But, you know, again, it's all relative to who you're talking to and who and who wants to pitch you that uh, angle. I, again, obviously, if they want an offensive mind, then Ben Johnson would certainly be the guy. The question is, for me, just because you can draw up really good plays, are you the guy that can stand up in, the, in front of the whole locker room and get those guys, get the players motivated, focused, whatever you need to do to get the job done? It's not just about calling the X's and O's. And that's the unknown, I think, with any of these coordinators, other than, say, a Dan Quinn, who's been a head coach, and to that, and you know, same with Raheem Morris. Uh, I would say Ben Johnson's a favorite, but I, you know, I don't want to say 51 or 83 because I, I honestly just don't know. But it still feels like it's Ben Johnson in the lead, regardless of what I'm hearing. I'll be a little bit more fearless than you. I'll make a prediction. I'll say that there is a 75% chance. No, I'll go higher than that. 76% chance that Ben Johnson is the new head coach in Washington, but. Let's just for a moment consider the possibility that it doesn't happen. Who do you think their number two is? Yeah, this is a great, a great question. Uh, I know you've got some uh, Dan Quinn thoughts. I know that you know he, he, you know, if we go back before Dallas got smoked by Green Bay, you know, it entering the entering the coaching uh, search cycle, you know, it felt like Ben Johnson was number one, Dan Quinn wasn't the next guy and maybe even for some would be ahead of Ben Johnson if you wanted a more experienced uh, candidate. Uh, then obviously they, you know, disaster game against Green Bay. One game should not knock anybody off of, you know, uh, off a tier just because of that. But obviously it would be a little bit tougher sell. Um, I, I'm, boy, I, I'm sort of all over the place. I just had on my, on my podcast, uh, our guy Ted Gwynn, who's one of the better like film analysts out there, and I had him specifically go through what's a Ben Johnson offense, what's a Mike McDonald defense, and then in the end I said, okay, well you got to pick one. You know, you can look at Washington's situation or just in general, who would you pick? And he said he would go with Mike McDonald as the head coach. So I, I you know, did this is uh, if you ask me tomorrow, I might say a different answer. Um, I don't know. I I'll get, I'll guess I'll say Mike McDonald just because Ted did, but, you know, again, I don't know that Washington feels the same. I had somebody tell me they don't think Mike McDonald's the lead for any of the opening jobs. Um, and Dan Quinn would make a lot more sense, but is Dan Quinn going to Seattle, or have they changed their mind? Um, you know, they, they just had a, a defensive coordinator, obviously, or a defensive coach with Pete Carroll. Maybe they want to go with a guy like Dave Canales, who was their former QB coach who went, went to Tampa this year. To be their OC, he helped resurrect Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield. Maybe that's where they want to go. But if Dan Quinn goes to, you know, if, if not, then Dan Quinn probably goes to Seattle, uh, and that takes him off the board. So it is a fact. It, it is really interesting. This is one of the more 
uh, I think, fascinating. I mean, we haven't had a, a real coach search here in a while, right? I mean, it felt like Ron was pretty much the obvious choice in the beginning, and even Jay Gurdon, it always kind of felt like it was his to lose. So this is a really interesting scenario. I, I guess that I guess I'll go McDonald, but I by tomorrow I might go Quinn or Morris. You know, the name that just keeps getting left out of all of these conversations with any of these openings, and it's just very surprising to me, is Mike Vrabel. I don't understand it. To yeah. me, he is the best, other than Belichick and, and Harbaugh, the, the, the best-known coach. And by the way, the one that could be around the longest if you hire him, because Harbaugh typically has a short run, short shelf life, and Belichick's 72 years old. I don't understand why Vrabel may get left out of this whole picture. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's been interviewed in some spots, and, you know, I, I kind of keep thinking, like, if Carolina, uh, you know, because, you know, David Tepper is going to be in this tough spot now, the way, you know, by, by his own fault of uh, being too meddling, um, that, you know, if he wants a bigger name, similar to the way Dan Snyder did for years, that Mike Vrabel might be the, the obvious choice. You know, give him. Um, you know, some power that, that the Panthers did just promote their essentially their assistant Carson. GM to the GM role, you know, Dan Morgan, and they're expected to hire a, 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 a vice oh, president of football ops. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. So, um, the, you know, so I don't know if, if, if Vrabel, if that works for Vrabel per se, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, he could end up in Seattle. I, 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 guess, I think the one thing I had surprised me a little bit here with Washington. And this may go to your point of why Ben Johnson really is a big favorite, is that they haven't added to their interview list since Adam Peters came on board. Like you would think that like he would have some of his own thoughts, right? Uh, and but but that hasn't happened. And then like you know Mike Vrabel, just to, to use him, you know, he came open, uh, you know right you know, right after I think Washington initially kind of put out their their feelers. So. That is a little surprising to me, but that also may be an indication of, hey, we like Ben Johnson. We're not going to we're not going to complicate this. You know, we like Ben Johnson. If he, you know, we're going to go all in for him. If somehow that doesn't work, then you know we're good with these other names. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I thought Vrabel would at least get a look here. Not not Belichick, not Harbaugh, but I did think Vrabel might have a shot to get a to get an interview here. Yeah. Um, so let's just assume for this part of the conversation that it is Ben Johnson. Uh, the biggest hire after that will be the defensive coordinator because, you know, I've read Nikki mentioned Hank Fraley's name, you know, who's the who was the O-line coach uh, in Detroit, and he'll take some of those people, perhaps him as an offensive coordinator um, here with them. Um, have you thought about the de- uh, Joe Barry's available, Skins fans, Joe Barry's available if you want him as the defensive coordinator. I don't think anybody does. But have you thought about defensive coordinator? Have you heard any names that would come with Ben Johnson? Um, you know, I'm not sure if there's somebody on Detroit staff that is viewed as like an up and coming, you know, what uh, coordinator? You know, that would obviously be someone. Um, I, I, I don't know that I've heard this connected with Ben Johnson, but I, I will say this, you know. One, you know, one aspect of Ben Johnson will be, you know, he does, he's not, you know, going to be too familiar with his with his roster. Same with Adam Peters. But one person who would be, at least on defense, is Chris Harris, the former defensive backs coach. He is now with the Titans. He was he left there before the season to become their uh, defensive passing game coordinator, and you know, he's also still coaching the, the cornerbacks. You know, 
of of all the it was discussed at times, but his departure I think was a was a huge loss for this for this defense. I mean the secondary, which had so much promise after the twenty twenty two season, really took a step back once he left and they brought in Brett Beesmeyer and then before firing him with along with Del Rio after Thanksgiving. So, you know, he's getting interviews for that and I think while that would be a little bit make me a little nervous about having you know a, a first time head coach, a first time DC, and all that. But he does know the personnel here, so I I, I wonder if that is uh, an interesting name. And then you know the other part is like you know let's just say Carolina hires Mike Vrabel or whoever they hire, they they go outside the building. You know now all of a sudden, what does that mean for their staff and their defensive coordinator uh, Evero? He he's considered to be like one of the the, the, the brighter yeah. young coaches. Uh, around the league, does he all of a sudden spring free? And if so, you know, could you make a run at, at him? I mean, that, that's the that's the thing. We're, we're, the, the field that we're all looking at for coordinators and coaches could very could change, you know, somewhat dramatically once these final hires are made, because clearly these head coaches are going to want to bring in their own people, right? So, um, so I think that I think those are a couple things to uh, to keep an eye on. Adam Peters, Ben Johnson combined, what does that say for you about the quarterback that they would draft, if anything? Yeah, uh, you know, if you look at Detroit, I mean, I guess I feel that, like, assuming Caleb Williams is off the board, that Drake May, uh, the North Carolina quarterback, feels like a better fit for what Ben Johnson uh, is doing. I mean, you know, we don't see a ton of RPOs with Jared Goff. Uh, which may say more about Jared Goff's uh, uh, athleticism or not versus what Ben Johnson wants to do. But, you know, with uh, Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, you know, that's a completely different type of quarterback. You know, the, 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 the RPO, the dual threat, not saying Ben Johnson can't do that. I'm just saying based on what we know, it doesn't look that way. But they're going to have three months to uh, to toy with this, to figure this out. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you discussed, like Mel Kuyper had Jaden Daniels going number two to Washington. Again, he doesn't know who the coach is, but um, you know, I, I think that, that Daniels versus May debate is going to be, you know, come, come talk to me in April how excited I am to keep talking about that. But that's what we're going to be discussing here for the next several weeks. Uh, but if, I, you know, if you're telling me Ben Johnson's a coach, I mean, I guess I would lean Drake May just based on what we know of his offense. So I had this guy on the radio show today. Ryan Fowler was his name. I've had him on before. He is a draft analyst with the Draft Network, also with Bleacher Report. I think he actually used to write for the team's website. I may be wrong about that. But that aside, he wrote a story the other day talking about the quarterbacks outside of the draft. Like, if you're not going to be able to draft one, What's available? Well, Justin Fields may be available via trade. Russell Wilson may be available. And Kirk Cousins will be the top quarterback free agent um, in this year's free agent class. In fact, you know, along with Chris Jones, he'll probably be one of the top two free agents um, when we get to March, period, uh, at any position. And he suggested three fits for Cousins. And I'll ask you about Fields here in a moment. But he suggested three fits for Cousins in one of the teams was Washington. And he just said, if Adam Peters ends up hiring Ben Johnson, if you watch Detroit's offense, the kind of offense they like to run with Jared Goff, 
it's perfect for Kirk Cousins. So, hypothetically, if they didn't like any of the quarterbacks in the draft, if due diligence you know, revealed things that made it unacceptable for them to take Caleb Williams, Drake Mayer, Jaden Daniels at number two uh, overall, do you think that there's any chance, just a hunch, I just want your hunch, that Ben Johnson might be interested in Kirk Cousins? Well, he might be, but I doubt Josh Harris is. Uh, I don't see I – I mean, the, re, the simple reality is this. If you add Kirk Cousins to this team and you make reasonable draft choices and you use some of that free agent money on whatever, although you're using a lot of it on Kirk Cousins at that point um, – is this team a contender? And I know, or for something, right? And I know in the NFL, fortunes can change quickly. The, the Houston Texans, the latest example, going from the number two pick to winning a playoff game. But you can't look at this roster and tell me that adding Kirk Cousins is going to put this team in anywhere more than the 500 level. I, I just, it's hard to believe that right now with the amount of holes that they have. You know, I mean, so I don't think it makes any logical sense. To, to do that, if you're talking about a multi-year deal, if it's sort of like, all right, look, uh, we want to build this team up. We'd rather trade down the number two pick, get a bunch of stuff, but we don't want this team to be completely in the tank, you know, next year the way it kind of was this year. So maybe we go out and get somebody to a one-year deal. I don't know, but that would be like the only kind of way I could see it. Or I mean, let like if you dra- or if you draft the QB at two, which is not what you're discussing, and then you bring in the Jacoby Brissett type, you know, maybe there's that, but. Other than that, I, I, I don't know. And you know, in my uh, story, you mentioned the other day on the radio the the uh, I think you did uh, the uh, like top ten things that Adam Peters and the organization are going to have to do uh, over the next you know several weeks. And one of them for me was figure out the plan with Jonathan Allen. And the reason I bring this up here is because the issue is for, I forget whether he he wants out or not. I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe we made it out to be. But the question is, he's 29 years old. He's going to probably want a, a new deal, an extension, something, because he has no guaranteed money left. And the cap numbers are pretty high if you want to lower that. But does it make sense to give him an extension if you don't think you're going to be a contender or you know in the mix for the next couple of years, right? Because now you're paying a guy a lot of money for a team that may not win a ton of games. I think what they do with him is going to say a lot about their projection for themselves. And if, it is, if the projection is – we want to turn this thing around quickly, then I can see him getting a new deal, and then maybe the quarterback comes into play. But beyond that, I just can't really understand why they would spend a ton of money on a quarterback with where this team is right now. I agree with a lot of what you said, and, and I think from an age standpoint, that would be the reason not to be interested in Kirk Cousins. Uh, he's going to be 36 years old. But, you know, when – Detroit acquired Jared Goff as part of the compensation for Matt Stafford. There was no real idea that it would be turned around as quickly as it got turned around, that they would be in the NFC Championship game two years after that deal. Uh, Jared Goff had familiarity with Brad Holmes, of course, the general manager, and he was happy to take that contract back. And they got a lot of picks in the deal as well. But they were, you know, they were three and thirteen, I think, in that first year. They were nine and eight and improved last year. And I think everybody thought that they had a chance to be a good team this year, but not necessarily an NFC championship team. I guess my point would be you can turn around an NFL team pretty quickly. 
if you get the quarterback matched with the right offensive designer scheme play calling guy um, and you've got picks in cap space to support that uh, I'm just you know considering the possibility because it's not an impossibility that they don't love two of the three quarterbacks that maybe they're going to be left with the option of selecting at number two overall what about Justin Fields uh, I guess it depends what you think of Justin Fields like I'm not particularly that enamored with him I know that he made progress this year, as the Bears overall did, uh, with a really strong second half. He certainly looked pretty good in Week 5 against Washington. But, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, the issue with Justin Fields is he's going into the fourth year of his contract, which means if you're going to trade for him, you pretty much are saying you're going to extend him. Forget just picking up the fifth-year option, that you were going to probably extend him, which means he's you know, his salary goes, soon from being on that rookie contract to getting paid a lot of money. And this is the rub why I think Chicago is going to go Caleb Williams, because not only is Caleb Williams a higher-ranked prospect, it appears, but he's going to start the rookie contract all over again. So they're going to roll out Justin Fields, start over there, get stuff for him. You know, again, if you're Washington, you basically are not just saying you like Justin Fields, you think he's the guy for the next few years and – like I said, I'm I'm not there. I'm, I mean, I'm not there on him. I, uh, you know, admittedly, it's not breaking down all the tape. Didn't see all the games uh, for the Bears, and you know, uh, the, you got to hope Adam Peters has a better feel and for what to make of the field of the prospect than you or I do. But I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not seeing it with Fields. And to the if, if I'm going to pass on the quarterbacks at two, I, I, I it's I don't know. Something that just tells me that Fields wouldn't be the guy for me either. So I, I don't, I, I look, if, if the cost is reasonable enough, you know what? Maybe say, screw it. We'll make the deal. We'll play out the rookie contract and see, but you know, I, th- now you're tying yourself up for the next couple of years, at least with a guy who, you know, like I said, I don't particularly think is all that. If they really didn't like the quarterbacks, right? Obviously then they're going to trade out. You would think of two because somebody's going to want to trade up. Yeah. And if they trade out, trade down, you know, now all of a sudden, other things come into play. Like I'm not a big J.J. McCarthy guy, but okay, some people seem to like him. Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix. Right. Again, not what, what, what do you like from not now all of a sudden those guys become up in play if you move down. So it's not like it would definitively give up on the quarterback. But, yes, I mean, it would be different between picking one of those guys at two versus trading down and getting one of these other names. What do we know about the front office right now? Uh, Peters has been here for a week or so. Uh, there's been no news with respect to additions or subtractions. What are you hearing on that front? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, again, the, the challenge with the front office hires is that, you know, teams have been studying the draft and free agency and so on, you know, for weeks and months now, and teams are not always going to, be you know willing to let people go from their building now if they if it's for a higher um, you know a, a better title then then they, they may not have much of a choice but you know I'm sure people at Peters would want are possibly stuck where they are until after the draft per se I mean you know if you go back and look at what happened here when when Ron Rivera came in you know he he didn't really make any changes initially right I think he brought in Eric Stokes. That first year, obviously Rob Rogers to handle the contracts, uh, but you know th- those guys were probably 
um, on their way out anyway after the uh, you know the changes that were going on there. They kept Kyle through so, the draft, then, you know. Right, right. Kyle Smith and, and Tim Gribble were still yep. here. They stayed through, and then it wasn't until after the draft into the offseason to next season when Rivera started to you know phase out some of the internal people and eventually get the table set to bring in Marty Herney and uh, Martin Mayhew. So it could be kind of that deal. I think what's interesting is next week is the Senior Bowl in uh, Mobile, Alabama, and I'm sure Washington is going to send a good contingent of scouts and others. The wonder is who else is going to be there? I, I think, if I had to guess, Adam Peters eventually does get there next week. Don't panic if somehow he misses a day or two. It's you know it's important, but you know he'll he'll be he'll be fine if he's not there. But somebody's going to have to be there. Somebody's conducting interviews, and does that somebody show us an indication of who is staying and who is going? Right? Is Martin Mayhew there? Is it Marty Herney? Is it none of them? You know that could be that could be interesting, or at least an indicator of you know like I said of the current staff who is who is good and who is uh, possibly on their way out. Are they going to pick up the fifth-year option on Jamin Davis? Uh, I would assume the answer would be no. You know, I mean, I look, Jamin Davis has made some incremental improvements, and, you know, it's hard to, to come down too hard on any of these players after what we've seen with his defense, you know, the ups and downs over the last couple of years. But, you know, he, we just have – I have not seen enough from him to for make me to think he is going to definitively turn this thing around – and therefore, I'm going to, you know, lock him in as, as a starter for this team for for an extra year. So I don't think so. I, I mean, he's also got these uh, legal matters going on with um, excessive speeding, reckless driving. Yeah. I don't know if any of that comes into play. It is expected from last we had heard that he could get some few days of jail time out of it. I don't know if that's going to have Adam Peters and everybody else going, eh, maybe we just, you know, play this year out and go from there. So I'm going to guess no, that they would not pick it up. Um, the franchise tag deadline comes much earlier than that. I think that's early March. Is there a player that you think Adam Peters will use the tag on? No, I can't comprehend that. I mean, the only one not that Cameron even like this, the, uh, I mean, it's, you know, you're going to get, now you're paying him one of the highest salaries at that position. Right. Again, you know, I'm always cautious whether we want to say somebody's really good or underwhelming, it's, we're, we're typically looking at it through the lens of just this team. You have to look at it in the lens of the entire league. But I don't know. I'm not, I didn't, I'm not getting the sense that Cam Curl is uh, you know, a good player. If, obviously, if they could bring him back at a good number, sure. But to make him, you know, I mean, he, he doesn't generate turnovers. He hasn't in four years. You know, I, and obviously the defense was kind of what it was this year. Not that it was on him, but, you know, it wasn't like there were too many games this year going, wow. Cam Curl was so unbelievable, but everybody else fell apart. So I don't see a tag on him bringing it back. Sure, maybe, but not. I don't see the tag. All right. Uh, I want to shift to a completely different subject uh, with you specifically because of your involvement in covering this team in town for many years. And that is I want to talk about this interview that Martian Gortat did uh, the other day, uh, in talking about his days with the Wizards. For those that don't remember, right. he was a part of the Wizards teams that, with a very young John Wall and Bradley Beal, made the playoffs several years in a row. 
um, one series uh, the first year in the playoffs. They beat the Chicago Bulls in five games, lost to the Pacers in six. The next year they swept Toronto and really had a chance to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals, but John Wall got injured. Um and he was a big part of that that team. And he did an interview with HoopsHype.com. I always found him to be an incredibly engaging, great sense of humor, smart, interesting athlete in town. I probably had him on radio, I don't know, two or three times um, during those years. I want to read a couple of things that he said. Um, so he was asked about what went wrong during his time here. And he said, quote, Well, as crazy as it sounds, I will say that we probably should have kept Randy Whitman as a coach. Yeah, I know that that sounds crazy, but we should have done that. Why? Because he was the only coach that was able to control John, and they were bumping heads, and I was bumping heads with Randy. Randy was a hell of a good coach, and he knew what he was doing. He was able to control John, he was able to control Bradley, and he was bringing the right people on board from a player standpoint, and we were missing we were missing maybe that one, maybe two good role players for us to make a bigger run, and then we needed some luck, and John broke his hand in the second or third game against Atlanta uh, in the conference semifinals. Um, so we needed luck. Randy should have should have stayed as a coach and added one or two better signings to the organization. Overall, we should have done better, but we had an incredible team. And then he gets into the description of the team, which is a little bit uh, inflated uh, and and overdone. But still, he he says back in the day when you sat in the plane when we were flying to another city. We didn't care where we were flying because we knew what we were bringing. We were bringing a freaking storm when we showed up. (laughs) We had so many weapons. We had so many levels. John, Beal, me on the pick and roll, Nene inside. Oh my God, we were a hell of a team. And I mean, we were unbelievable. Then that year we had Otto Porter coming off the bench, Trevor Ariza starting, Andre Miller was coming off the bench. We had a squad. However, now we only have memories. Like I said, we should have kept Randy Whitman. Uh, <laughs> that team wasn't quite that good. Uh, nowhere near it, actually. Um, but it was the best team that, you know, the, the I think it was better than the Gill teams um, and the Quran teams in terms of their overall ability to advance in the postseason uh, because they were better on both ends. But uh, that, was, that was interesting. And for me, Ben, I sat there day in and day out and I said, you people that think Randy Whitman can't coach don't know anything about basketball. He is by far and away a million times better of an X's and O's coach than Scott Brooks is. It's not even close. Ask any basketball person and they'll tell you that. Um, and I always liked Randy and I always thought they were well coached. Uh, but And, and Gortat kind of confirms that. There's more to this, but give me your reaction on that. Well, I think what's important to note here, and it, you know, look, I, I'm not afraid to, to uh, ding Ted Leonsis for questionable choices. I'm not going to ding him, though, for firing Whitman, even though I agree with everything that you, you just said and Gortat said. But here, here's the, it, it was a lot of perception versus reality. When, when Whitman get, got, became the head coach, you know, this was classic Ted. They fired Flip Saunders, the late Flip Saunders, right. and the, the, the assistants were on the books for another year for whatever reason. So Ted decided not to, he didn't want to pay two staffs. He just made Whitman 
the interim and then the head coach, even though Whitman at that point had like the all-time worst winning percentage of any coach who's coached X amount of games uh, from two other stops with bad teams. So automatically nobody was excited for this hire, right? But then he, they get incrementally better. And the thing is that this was an organization that coddled their players far too much. It's what to some degree led to Gilbert Arenas' career right. flaming out. It led to John Wall. And, and that was a combination of Ernie Grunfeld and Ted Leonsis. But Randy Whitman, a, a guy who played under Bobby Knight, didn't care about any of that stuff. And also I think he, when he became the coach here, what did he have to lose? He's already, you know, again, he'd already, you know, this is like a, a bonus for him to get this opportunity. So I do think he was not, uh, you know, bowing down to these guys. He was calling it like it was. And it was when they were the most, you know, in, in hindsight in particular, the most uh, disciplined, you know, again, all, all things being relative. Um, and I think, unfortunately, when he was let go, John Wall, you know, I think did kind of lose, lose that edge. You know, as a guy who's like <laughs> overweight, I always hesitate to call these guys out for such things. But John Wall would show up in training camp, definitely not in NBA, not in basketball shape. And then obviously in later years we've seen, you know, I'm not, I'm not questioning whatever he's doing, but we've seen some questionable decisions uh, that he's doing off the court, at least in the eyes of Tevin Moses and others. And I think that if Randy Whitman had stayed, I, I do wonder how this could have gone. And to, to, to connect this to the watch to the commanders, I think it's very similar. If you had said after Scott Brooks' first year, they win 49 games, one game away from the first 51 season since, like, what, 78, 79, 79, 80, whatever year it was. Um, And then similar to the football team here, Ron Rivera the first year, sure, the record's not great, but coming off a three-win season, they win the NFC East. If I told you at that point that neither Scott Brooks nor Ron Rivera would have finished their career here viewed as the better coach compared to the person that they replaced, <laughs> they're going to get really good odds to take those bets. But that's how it played out. Scott Brooks, a massive disappointment to me. I've heard all the stories about why he wasn't a good coach for OKC. But, you know, until you, until you sort of see it for yourself, you can't tell. He, he just seemed to let the players kind of get away with whatever uh, and – all, you know, on the court, I don't mean like lifestyle, but just like on the court. And, uh, you know, obviously Rivera just didn't work out, as we know. So, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating look back that Randy Whitman, getting rid of him would have been the move, or was it was a bad choice. We should also remember part of the Scott Brooks scenario was trying to make a play for Kevin Durant. He obviously coached Durant OKC. That had to be some factor. Needless to say, Durant didn't even give him an interview. Yeah, did not. Uh, no visit. Um, or a meeting. Gortat talked a lot about John Wall, and I would encourage uh, any Wizards fan um, to read this because it was some good stuff about Wall, and I, I retweeted um, the story. But here's something that's more appropriate for today. Doc Rivers being hired by the Milwaukee Bucks uh, after they fired Adrian Griffin yesterday. Um, Rivers back in coaching after a brief stint in broadcasting would be interesting to see the Bucks and the 76ers in a playoff series uh, in 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 May. Um, but he w- he played for for Doc in Orlando, and he said uh, I didn't have the best time with Doc Rivers. Unfortunately.
unfortunately. He's a good dude and great to talk with, incredible stories, rich history. However, I wouldn't trust his coaching decisions. I just don't have confidence in them. He said, I, I you know, played for one of the best coaches ever in Stan Van Gundy. I always thought Stan was a really good coach, too. Um, he's an incredible coach, prepares you for every game. Um, I played for Randy Whitman, who was a great coach. I'd say the same thing for Alvin Gentry. Uh, but back to Doc, I just don't trust him. I couldn't trust him, and that's it. Man, you know, I've never thought watching Doc Rivers that he was like some exceptional genius on the sideline. Great dude, clearly. I mean, first of all, I mean, whatever, Gortat. I think Gortat just is awesome as an interview, and he's so brutally honest. Um, but what do you make of, of what happened in Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, you know, I have not been paying close attention to the NBA relative to my norm because of just this job and all that. But so when this happened, when they fired Adrian Griffin yesterday with what a thirty-three and ten record, yeah, thir- thirty and thirteen. Uh, like, Wait, yeah. what? Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I hit up um, you know a couple of people I know, you know, around the league, cover the league, whatever. I'm like, what, what's going on here? And they seem to say it was a pretty like kind of open secret that he just as a first-year coach, was just incredibly uh, overwhelmed by the situation, that he just was not able to, you know, function as a main head coach, you know, whatever that exactly means. Uh, I'm sure it's been discussed out there. So, at the, I mean, to see that kind of a record, and somebody, it, it would have been like saying, if Jim, when Jim Zorn was 6-2, and two, firing him because you could see what was coming. Right. I guess, yeah. right? I mean, obviously, we know how that went down, and then in hindsight, we're all like, "Boy, uh, how could they even hired him?" But when he was six and two, he was like, "Oh, okay, I guess this is uh, pretty interesting." But it's so bizarre. So on the one hand, it could be like an addition by subtraction. On the other hand, uh, no doubt Doc Rivers will stabilize whatever they felt was the problem. But his co- coaching career is littered with underwhelming performances, blown leads in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, yes, he did win a title with the Celtics. That was forever ago. You know, guys in this, in this NFL draft weren't born when uh, that happened, right? <laughs> or, well, or maybe that's not exactly right, but you know what I mean? It's been a while. Again, that can't be right. That math doesn't work. But you know what I mean? It's been a while since he's, uh, since he had that, that, that level of success. So no, I, I don't, I, I mean, it might be enough I mean, with Giannis and Dame. They obviously have a very talented team and maybe that's enough, but you know, Doc's had plenty of other talented teams that just came up short. Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's interesting, man. Thirty and thirteen, and you get fired. It, and it clearly means that your two best players, Giannis and, and Dame Lillard, just didn't want them. I mean, they're not going to make the move without that particular support for the uh, move. Giannis in particular. Um, so he just must not. Supposedly, have... Giannis is the one that wanted him in the first place, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, there we go. There's a lot of Kyrie Irving uh, in uh, memories of that in New Jersey. Not that those two individuals are comparable in any way, shape, or form. Uh, All right. Um, Thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you uh, end of the week on radio. Sounds like a plan, man. See ya. One of my favorites, Ben Standig. He does such a great job covering the team for the Athletic. He did a great job covering the Wizards for uh actually i don't think he covered the wizards for the athletic did he i think it was nbc sports washington or 
See, you know, I've been friends with Ben for a long time. Nobody paid attention to Ben when he was covering the Wizards except for a few of us. Now everybody pays attention to Ben, and he's become a star on the beat covering the team. He does a great job. Uh, Four championship teams, two championship games this weekend. We're going to find out about one of those teams with our old friend Steven Spector out in Kansas City. We'll ask him a little bit about Eric Bieniemy and Taylor Swift as well. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Before we get to Steven Spector, I want to tell you about MagdenMotors.com. Magden Motors is a premier high-line exotic dealership new to the DMV. They specialize in clean, low-mile, and unique spec vehicles, and they've got all the big brands like Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, McLaren. Every car goes through a 110-point inspection and is backed by an extensive warranty. Financing and leasing is available on all vehicles, and you will get to deal with an expert staff that has an average of 20 years of experience. If you're interested, go to magdenmotors.com. That's M-A-G-D-E-N motors.com. All right, jumping on with us right now uh, is an old friend, Stephen Spector, who worked at 980 for years. Uh, Stephen, every time I have him on, uh, we always remind each other that we were together on the day of the August earthquake back in 2011. Many of you have heard that sound uh, clip many times. Maybe I'll add it to the end of the show. Uh, but Stephen's been in Kansas City as the program director at 610 Sports uh, in Kansas City for 11 years now and has dealt with nothing but winners. You know, the Chiefs have been winning. The Royals have been good at times. Um, and uh, it's been quite the ride for you in Kansas City. And here we are again. I mean, a lot of people thought watching this regular season, this might be the year KC gets beat. They're going to have to play a road playoff game, etc., etc. Well, they got through the road playoff game in Buffalo, and they're headed to Baltimore for the AFC Championship game. Are you surprised even a little bit? I'm very surprised because I was one of the people that was out on this team, and that was starting in November. Uh, And I'm sure you can go back on my Twitter timeline. I said, this is not a Super Bowl team. Uh, Coming off that game in Germany in which they, you know, they ended up beating the Dolphins that day 21-14, but didn't score a point in the second half. And, you know, the reasoning behind it, I thought at the time, was was pretty logical. They, they didn't have any weapons on the outside. There were holes on the offensive line. Pat was playing kind of his worst football in the five years that he'd been the starting quarterback. And there was not a lot to like about this team on the offensive side of the football. The defense has always been there. But when you looked at in comparison to the You know, this six-year run, they've always had the Hill, the Kelsey. Kelsey has not been himself, you know, at age 34. There is no more Tyreek Hill. Pat not playing his best football. I was out on this team in November. And the last two weeks, um, I've had to put my foot in the mouth because they've changed their philosophy, and now they seem to be playing their best football at the most important time and headed to Baltimore with another coin flip game on the road, and we're all excited for it. What what's what changed philosophically here recently? Oh, it's very simple. I think Andy for four months was tinkering with Kadarius Tony and tinkering with Sky Moore 
and tinkering with, you know, how to get Marquez Valdez Scantling in the game. And he realized it's pretty simple. It's like a basketball analogy, Kevin. There's only three guys that should ever shoot the ball, and that's Travis Kelsey, that's Rasheed Rice, and that's Isaiah Pacheco. And those three guys have got the majority of the touches the last two weeks, and the offenses run through them. And when Marquez Valdez-Scanley needs to come up with two catches, he has. But they've stopped trying to force these gadget players and these role players into, you know, again, using the basketball analogy, shooting the ball and trying to score. There's three guys, and that's who they've run it through. And look, they put up 26 points against the Dolphins in frigid temperatures. They left a little bit to be desired with with four field goals in that game. Um, They should have scored over 30, if not for McCall Hardman. Again, another gadget player making a crucial mistake on the goal line in Buffalo. It's, it's pretty simple. Get the guy, get the ball to the guys who are good and let Pat do his thing. And Pat has also not turned the ball over in this postseason. In fact, he has not thrown a pick in the last five postseason games he's played in. So Pat's narrowed it in. They've narrowed the rotation. And it's pretty simple. The defense has held, held ground in the second half. The Buffalo, the, you know, if you take the kneel downs out of the equation, they had 361 yards, 21 first downs, and basically 27, but as you mentioned, should have been more than 27 um, points on 43 plays. I mean, that's, that is highly productive offense, but it also came against a very banged-up defensive football team in Buffalo. And one of the things I've looked at here recently with respect to the game Sunday, Stephen, is that the last couple of decent defensive teams, if not good defensive teams, the Raiders, the Patriots, um, they haven't been themselves. And and a couple of those games were in December, the, the Christmas Day game. I mean, the Raiders generated no offense and were able to win that football game uh, on Christmas Day. Um, and I just wonder if there's any level of concern going up against, I think, the best defense in football in Baltimore's. Yeah, I think the conversation here this week, or I guess we can go back a little bit through the playoffs, is the Chiefs are better than Miami, right? The, the team that Miami rolled out was incredibly injured on the defensive side of the ball, and right. same with Waddle and Mostert, right? I don't think anybody expected Miami to come into negative 27-degree weather and beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Okay, that's that conversation. It worked out that way. I think everybody here thought that the Chiefs were better than Buffalo on Sunday because of the injuries that Buffalo had. If Buffalo was fully healthy, I think that's a different conversation to your point. The conversation this week is that for the first time maybe since they played the Patriots, in the AFC Championship game in 2019, I think the conversation here is that the Chiefs are probably not better than Baltimore. But we always have to throw this asterisk on is they have, we, have, we have Michael Jordan at quarterback, okay? Like, <laughs> I, I know it sounds cliche, but they've got Jordan. They've got, you know, Tiger Woods on Sunday at the Masters. So Mahomes is some crazy, like, 9-1 when he's underdog against the spread, you know, it's just nuts uh, what Patrick Mahomes has been able to accomplish in his six years as a starter. So while I agree with you that I think this matchup may not play to the Chiefs' advantage and that Baltimore is really, really good and has had a historic 2023-2024 season, we always have to add the caveat is the other team doesn't have Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs do. 
And we'll have to see on Sunday after 60 minutes if that holds true. Yeah, I mean, of course. And I think every football fan, and you don't have to be a Chiefs fan, understands that, as you said, Jordan is on their team, and so that makes winning um, a possibility, if not a probability, even though I don't think it's a probability on Sunday. But I think what is also, and you've already mentioned it once, what has definitely carried Kansas City for a lot of the season is a defense that has played better than any of the previous defenses, right? I mean, this is the best defensive team that Mahomes has been on. It's not even close. Uh, And, you know, Steve Spagnuolo came in here after that 2018-2019 team and completely revamped it. And this is now the second revamp that he's gone through. You know, there's no more Frank Clark. There's no more Tyron Matthew. I mean... What's really encouraging to a lot of Chiefs fans here is that this is also a very young defense. Now, there are some contracts that are going to be come due here pretty soon, but you know this is, could be the last game that uh, Chris Jones plays in a Chiefs uniform. And Legereus Sneed, who's been mm. the best corner, despite being snubbed as an all-pro, um, is, is up for a contract. But you look at some of the guys on this, on this defensive side of the ball, they're under 26. And, yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to pay guys, and they're going to figure out how to pay a free agent wide receiver. But Trent McDuffie is a stud all-pro in the second year. George Karloftis has 20 sacks yeah. in his first two seasons as a Chiefs. A great draft pick off the edge who they drafted as a result of trading Tyreek Hill. Nick Bolton's a star in the middle. And then they have, you know, role players around those guys. And, it's not even close. I mean, this is a really great defense. I think they're averaging like seven points allowed in the second half in the 2023 season. It's just the mix of young talent and stars with Steve Spagnuolo um, is really, really special. Watching That's the side of the ball that has kept this offense in it and put them in a position to win uh, 12 games this year and, and win the AFC West yet again. Back to the offense. I mean, I don't know that there is a back in the league that runs harder than Pacheco. Um, and I, you know, we, we obviously saw glimpses of it uh, last year uh, in his in his rookie season as a seventh rounder, you know, out of Rutgers. Um, you mentioned it. It's like Rice, Pacheco, Kelsey. Nobody else should get shots. Uh, I wonder if they'll be able to run the football against Baltimore. It's been hard to for anybody to do it against Baltimore. But I would bet that that's a big part of Sunday, that they've got to be able to, to stay balanced and, and, and have Pacheco, you know, have a 75-yard-plus have a day. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the difference is if you're watching that game against Buffalo, you know, Pacheco was ripping off those 8, 10, 12-yard carries. I think the important part on Sunday is he's got to get four to five, right? You've got to keep yourself in a manageable situation against an incredible Baltimore defense. And, you know, another big part of the conversation, if, you know, I'm sure not everybody listening has watched all 16, 17 regular season Chiefs games, but Pacheco clearly was held back by Andy and this staff where he was not in, and fans were clamoring for it for the 15, 18 carries a game. And Andy didn't do it. And there's a clear reason why he's gotten 39 carries the last two weeks against the Dolphins and Bills. And it's pretty clear that Andy said, we're not going to waste you in regular season games. We know we're going to win the division. We know we have more important football ahead of us. 
and then you get 15 carries against the Dolphins, or 24 carries against the Dolphins, 15 against the Bills, and they score 26 and 27 respectively. And they've got to do something similar again on Sunday because, it, you know, as great as Pat is, it can't be 45 dropbacks, third and eight all the time. That's not going to work against this Baltimore defense and this Baltimore pass rush. So, again, I think you're right. It's, you know, 15, 20 carries for 75, 80 yards. Can you set yourself up for second and six as opposed to second and eight? Uh, that gives the chance uh, for the Chiefs to win this football game on Sunday. Edwards Alaire had a big run, too, uh, Sunday in Buffalo. Um, and it reminded me of that weird COVID game when. Kansas City went into Orchard Park and basically just handed the ball off to Edwards Alaire on every single play against six DBs and Buffalo never adjusted. I think I have that right. Um, yeah, it, it was a COVID Monday game. They moved it to 4 o'clock on yeah, Monday. Right, exactly. So That was the high point of Clyde Edwards Alaire's career because you know, he's kind of been a, a scapegoat for a lot of things and you know, fifth-year running back, he's, he's playing for a future and a job in the NFL, but that was certainly the high point of a first-round draft uh, pick out of the running back spot, which a lot of people still complain about when Michael Pittman Jr. and T. Higgins were taking the two spots afterwards. All right, let me ask you a question about our team uh, and a guy that coached there for several years who was the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach here. There were conversations, fans, you know, media types that said Kansas City's offense is struggling because Eric Bieniemy isn't there. How do Kansas City how do Kansas City people feel about that? Such a wild conversation. So I think there's there's two sides to it. The Chiefs were one of the most penalized teams in the NFL and they turned the ball over a ton with like a you know, 28th in the league or something like that in, in turnover margin this year. And everybody would say that that would never happen with Eric Bieniemy. But yet last year when things were going wrong, it was all Eric Bieniemy's fault. So it's, it's kind of a pick your poison, you know, argument. I, I do think there is a, there is something to the fact that they were much more disciplined under Eric Bieniemy, but there were still a ton of Bieniemy complaints uh, with the offense, not taking shots, being, slow and methodical, Pat not being um, you know, as aggressive as he as he has been in the past. So I think there's probably two sides to the argument, but I don't think you can for sure say that this team wouldn't be the most penalized team without Eric Bieniemy uh, being the offensive coordinator here this past 16-17 games. Do you think if Bieniemy isn't in Washington, which there's a pretty good chance he won't be, do you think he comes back to Kansas City? Will Andy want him back? I don't think so. Uh, Nagy is very Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, is very well liked in the building, very well liked by Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think, you know, I think Eric Bieniemy's time had just run out in Kansas City. He'd been interviewed for so many jobs. I just think the message maybe got a little stale uh, in that locker room. Not that he's not respected, and I think any player who played for him would tell you that. But I think they just needed a new voice in that room and. Listen, I mean, it's it's hard to move on from an offensive coordinator who got you back to the AFC Championship game. So um, a lot of people also believe Matt Nagy is the coach in waiting here in Kansas City. Um, if and when Andy wants to retire in the next two, three, five years. So I don't think a reunion is likely. I, I've always thought that Eric Bieniemy needs to go to college, but I don't think Kansas City fans would say, yeah, let's bring Eric Bieniemy back 
uh, here to be the offensive coordinator in 2024. What's it been like to be at the center on Sunday afternoons of the Taylor Swift universe? Oh, God, it's wild. I mean, I know I know Twitter is not a real conversation or X, whatever. The difference in between Kansas City and having fun with Taylor Swift and her being like a part of our town is so different than the online conversation and the people mad about showing her on TV. It, Kansas City's embraced her. She's embraced Kansas City. That's all we really want. You know, she walks around Trader Joe's here in Kansas City, all, all that stuff. Like, Kansas City fans love her, adore her. I think the national conversation has gotten a little ridiculous with people being all up in arms about showing her on TV. She's just trying to enjoy the game, and she clearly has, you know, embraced Travis Kelsey's, you know, fame and fandom, and she's having a great time. Why shouldn't the rest of us? Uh, I think that's perfectly said, and I think I completely agree with that. All right, what happened Sunday in Baltimore? Oh, God. Do you have the total in front of you? Because that'll shape my, my score prediction. 51. It's 51? Yeah. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. I thought it was 45. And I thought it was, okay, 51. Yeah. Um, I would Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's the San Francisco game. Uh, 44 and a half, my fault. 44, 44 and, and a half, okay. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Um, you know, I thought the Chiefs were going to lose this game all season, but now all of a sudden I'm as confident as ever that they're going to win. I will say 23-20 Chiefs. Um, that's right around that 44-and-a-half mark. Late field goal from Butker. Chiefs escape with a victory. They're headed to their second straight Super Bowl. Baltimore left hanging. I think there's and tell me if you disagree and you obviously have a pulse on the on the region. I think there's a lot more pressure on Baltimore and Lamar to win this game than there is for the Chiefs. I haven't thought about it after they beat the Texans from that perspective because I thought that there was some pressure on Lamar last Saturday even though the opponent was a lesser opponent because the last time they were a number one seed in the postseason, Tennessee destroyed them uh, at M&T yep. Bank. And I, I, I think that he had a great second half. And so I think there's a little bit of pressure off of him after that performance. But it was Houston. It was a young team. It was a rookie quarterback. It was pretty damn cold. Not Kansas City cold like the Miami game, which, by the way, as an aside, I don't think because of that game and because of all of the reported hypothermia cases, we will ever see a game in that temperature again. I think the NFL will prevent that uh, moving forward. Although I thought it was super entertaining to watch. Um, But yeah, there's no pressure on the Chiefs. This was supposed to be all season long. This was supposed to be the off year. This wasn't going to be a Super Bowl team, as you said. Um, And here they are. And so they're kind of playing with house money for the first time, if it's even possible for a Chiefs team to play with house money. So I would say, yeah, there's more pressure on Baltimore. But I also think Baltimore is just a flat-out better team. Uh, I, 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 I... I really do. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, you know, I do think there's more pressure on Baltimore and Lamar. A, you're hosting the game. I also think Lamar probably has to wear the pressure of Burrow and Allen a little bit. Like, you know, we talk about the who is Mahomes' rival. And it started as Lamar, then it went to Josh Allen, then it was Burrow, for a second it was Herbert. And yet none of these guys. Have, one guy has made a Super Bowl, Burrow, Burrow lost to the Rams, 
But none of these guys have consistently beaten Patrick Mahomes when it actually matters. And now Lamar has another chance in the first time these two have played against each other in the playoffs. I think Lamar not only has pressure on himself and kind of his legacy, I think he's got to wear the pressure of who's going to be the first AFC quarterback to beat Patrick Mahomes and then go on to win a Super Bowl. Because, again, Burrow did it in the 2022 AFC Championship game but lost to the lost to the Rams. At some point, it can't just be Patrick Mahomes every year for the AFC. So is it going to be Lamar this year? Is it going to be Burrow next year? Whoever. Someone's got to eventually beat Patrick Mahomes. And I think Lamar has to wear that pressure this weekend. Yeah, I think there is. I mean, again, if he had lost to Houston on Saturday, it would have been bad um, for him. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, the Josh Allen conversation's gotten a little bit out of hand. I get it. I did. I thought that he made some decisions there on that final drive that weren't great decisions. But if there were an open draft for current NFL quarterbacks, he'd be no worse than the third or fourth quarterback taken. And Lamar, even if he loses on Sunday, would be no worse than like the fifth quarterback taken. You know, the funny thing about Burrow is Burrow went into Arrowhead, you know, and won and nearly did it again, you know, last year. That would have really separated Burrow. Had they pulled it off two years in a row in an AFC title game at Arrowhead, and they certainly had a chance to do it last year. Um, wasn't it? A, it was a walk-off field goal that won it, right? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. There was four seconds left, and yeah. they had to kick the, you know, the the, the kickoff. But yeah, it was, it was essentially a walk-off after that. That would have uh, really put Bur- penalty. That would have made it a no-brainer. Even if they had lost the Super Bowl to Philadelphia two weeks later, that would have been a, a no-brainer to say Burrow's number two behind Mahomes. In fact, we'd be saying he's kind of got Mahomes' number. You know, yeah, absolutely. the 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 reverse side of that argument is Burrow's been in the NFL for four years and he hasn't finished two of them. I know, right? He, he yeah. tore his ACL in Washington and then the uh, the wrist injury in Baltimore. So, yeah, I mean, two AFC Championship games with two seasons and not finishing the season. Um, and we'll see. You know, with the the conversation in the NFL is: Can you win with a quarterback who's been paid? This is the first year that Joe Burrow's been paid a, a 2024 season. Uh, can they retain that core of really good players? So we'll have to see what Burrow is moving forward, but I think you're absolutely right. Well, and the other thing with Lamar Jackson is he's got to take advantage of this opportunity because he's been injury-prone too. You know, they went into the postseason last year with Tyler Huntley. They missed the pre uh, the postseason the year before because he wasn't available to them at crunch time. And the way he plays, you know, this was a big offseason conversation about, you know, you know why Baltimore was at least perceived to be hesitant. They love Lamar. Lamar is incredibly beloved by everybody in that organization and everybody in that locker room. But to give him the kind of money ultimately that he got, there was this risk. I mean, were you going to see a third straight year where it ended with Tyler Huntley on the field? You couldn't have that. And he's one game and one win away from making it all worth it for Baltimore. Um, two wins away, really. They, I think they've got to, they, they got to get there and win it. And I, I actually think Baltimore is the team right now of the four remaining that is a cut above. I do. I, 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 think, the, I think whoever wins the AFC Championship game wins the Super Bowl. Because I don't, I don't care what we say. This is a quarterback-driven league. I'll take Lamar and Mahomes over Goff and Purdy. I don't care if it's perfect conditions in a dome in Vegas. 
give me Lamar or Pat over Goff and Goff and Purdy. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I, I did something on radio today uh, where just contemplating a San Francisco loss on Sunday to Detroit or even a Super Bowl loss, like what will be the conversation around Kyle Shanahan? Because we had the conversation early this week about Josh Allen. Well, Kyle Shanahan hasn't won a Super Bowl. I love Kyle. And again, Kyle would be one of the top three or four coaches if there was an open draft of coaches. But they have not evaluated quarterbacks well. And if they get beat by Detroit or if they were to get beat by Baltimore or Kansas City and he doesn't have a Super Bowl to go along with that genius you know, label, the organization essentially has it as well, I think the conversation about him and that organization will change a little bit. Like the, at one point this year it looked like the 49ers were the team that were a cut and a half above everybody else. Yeah, I, you like the eye test just like I do. I'm watching him try to throw a football in light rain, and he's wiping his hands in the middle of a play. You know, he just seems to me like, I'm speaking of Purdy, and that yeah. I guess be a Shanahan, everything's got to be perfect, it seems like, for San Francisco to win. And listen, maybe that happens in Vegas because it's, you know, turf, indoors, all that stuff. But I just... There's a reason why he was the last pick in the NFL draft, you know, and, and maybe he is Brady light, but that doesn't happen. You look at all the quarterbacks in these NFL playoffs. They are first round picks. They are high draft picks. And at some point, McCaffrey's got a lot of miles on him. Kittle's got a lot of miles on him. Debo's got a lot of miles on him. It's got to be a perfect setup for Purdy and I'm not sure how much longer that whole thing lasts there in San Francisco. Yeah, and that's that's the point. And I agree with you. I, I did not think Purdy played well at all against Green Bay until the final drive. And look, that was a clutch drive. He made some plays. Um, but it, you know, they're, he's lucky he didn't have Darnell Savage pick six him in the in the first half like Savage did against the Cowboys. Um, and yeah, uh, it's the evaluation. I mean, look, the Trey Lance trade and, and selection says it all. Garoppolo. Um, now, the plan all along for Kyle when he got to San Francisco was to sign or trade for Kirk Cousins. And Washington should have done it. They didn't do it because, of course, Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen did not want to do any favors for the Shanahan's. They were that petty. And they turned down a first-round number 2 overall pick for him. But, um, yeah, it, it, the 49er conversation will be an interesting one if they don't don't win it uh, this year. Um, they'll still come back loaded next year and be one of the better teams, but it's a good point that you make. I mean, they're such a physical group. Kittle, McCaffrey, Samuel. We've seen it with, with McCaffrey in his career. We're seeing it with Samuel right now. Trent Williams is getting – I mean, Trent Williams is like 35 years old at this point, right? Every bit of it. Yep. Um, and so they better do it soon, to your point. Uh, I think yeah, it's, I, I, I use a free agent this year too. So th- that offense is not that team is not going to look the same um, as it is right now. I mean, this is the best assembled roster in the NFL, but this is a quarterback league, and Brock Purdy is the fourth best quarterback remaining in the NFL playoffs. God, Ayuk is a star, um, in my opinion. Um, all right, man, great job. Uh, enjoy it. Are you coming to the game, or are you just hanging out at the station back in KC? Hanging out. All right. Well, enjoy it. First time on the road last week. Second time on the road this week. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Appreciate it, Stephen. Thanks, Kevin. 
at Steven Spector 10 on Twitter, on X. Uh, give him a follow. Uh, Steven's a great dude. All right, we are done for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.